welcome to the June episode of the Waterlog Podcast. My name is Dan. And my name is Howard. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. Hope you all had a nice Memorial Day weekend with uh, some returning uh, degree of normalcy. Today we're going to talk about one thing and, and we're going to focus on that one thing, which is the President's FY22 budget proposal, uh, the largest yet in history. So let's go ahead and get started. Looking forward to it. You know, on the federal level, the President's budget is an important event uh, compared to some states. It is not as important because it can be changed by Congress. And so we're going to talk about what we're our starting point and not our finishing point. All right, let's do it. I'd like to welcome a special guest to our show today, Derek Brockbank, the executive director of the Coastal States Organization. We work closely with Derek on a variety of coastal issues, including shore protection funding, Water Resources Development Act, and appropriations for coastal resilience uh, programs, policies, and of course, the Corps of Engineers. Welcome, Derek. Thank you for having me, guys. I, I love your show. I listen to it every month, and uh, glad to be joining you. Great. So, Derek, would you like to start off our show with the good news or the bad news first? Uh, why don't we start with the good news? Because there is some good All news. Right. So, as I already mentioned, this is the largest presidential budget proposal uh, in history, not to be confused with the total allocation that the Corps gets, which is far above the uh, roughly $6.8 billion that has been appropriated. Um, it's an additional $800 million over the FY2 uh, budget proposal, and it inclu- includes uh, a handful of projects uh, that we're excited about, which I believe should have been funded in previous years. Um, yeah, it does. It, it gets uh, one that is in uh, Derek's uh, definite uh, wheelhouse, uh, the Great Lakes Coastal Resiliency Study. And uh, after uh, years of effort, uh, they've finally gotten that started at least on the federal end, with a, uh, an appropriation uh, long deserved. And so I think that's one of the best pieces of news I think we can come up with. Uh, there are also a couple of other projects that are funded in the budget, uh, but only a couple. And we don't want to get into the bad news right now, but the uh, Chicago Shoreline Project, which is primarily a, a hard structure around the water uh, treatment plant, is up for restudy. Um, New Jersey Back Bay study gets funded, as does a similar focus area study in the New York, New Jersey harbors and tributary, um, Hudson River and tributaries. Um, that's Both of those are post-Sandy focus area studies. They're not being funded for the first time. They've been funded previously, and they are regional looks at um, what can be done to prevent some of the damages uh, that occur from severe storms like Sandy. So I think those are the major pieces of good news that we can find. Uh, there's a little bit more. Uh, according to a press release, 40% of the climate funds are directed are intended to be directed by the Army to disadvantaged communities, which I think is important. Yeah, it is. I, I just wonder how they're going to be able to carry that out. Because, you know, if you look at it, the projects are what they are. They've been studied. They've been authorized. They have been appropriated for what they are. If they affect uh, disadvantaged communities, that is great. Primarily, the benefit-cost ratio that the Corps uses will disadvantage disadvantaged communities. Right. And not only just disadvantaged communities, but uh, lightly populated in the sense of high density. The higher density you have, the more benefit-cost benefits you get. 
Well, you know, tell me how many of the communities, let's say, of um, North Carolina on the beaches. Just look at that. Tybee Island, Georgia, all sorts of places like that where you have people at risk, but they're not in high rises that are built close to the beach. So. Right. So I don't know how they're doing it, but I think it's a great objective. And most of those densely populated areas have authorized Corps of Engineers projects, which yes. I, I think is the point you're going to make, is where there's no authorized projects for these a lot of these disadvantaged communities. You know, if they're going to get into changing the benefit cost process, and I know allegedly they've got, you know, a memorandum out about changing it, but as recently as just a half hour before we went on the air, I checked, and that's still in the phases of each district trying to figure out what it's going to do while they're waiting for guidance from headquarters about how to include more than just uh, buildings, how to include the environment, how to include uh, social benefits, that is, people being displaced, businesses being displaced. All those things should be counted, and that's when the executive, uh, rather an ASA, um, Assistant Secretary of the Army memo, says, oddly enough, put out in the last administration, days before the change to this administration, but it was right. It was absolutely right. If they're saying they're going to take advantage of that and actually change the way the BCR is done, hallelujah. I just, uh, I'm going to be a little cynical for a moment. Well, if you think about the, the benefit-cost ratio, somewhat like a, a pyramid, right? At the very top, you have the highest-ranking uh, you know, ratios, right? You know, three, four, five to right. one. As you get lower on that triangle, there's more and more projects also that may have a two to one BCR, may not have a two point five. So there's now just even more projects that will eventually need funding. Yes. And there's two ways of looking at that. One that's good because there are more people who will be protected. Uh, on the other side, where's the money gonna come from? Exactly. Derek, what do you think about about that? Well, reforming the benefit-cost ratio is something that we've been, uh, I've been working on for you know half a decade or more, not nearly as long as, as I know you have, Howard, but it's certainly a, a critical uh, piece of how you improve opportunity for lower-income communities, for more rural or, or, or less or more sparsely populated communities. So I think that's going to be a, a big change. It'll be interesting to see if there is a um, something I know you guys have worked on, but uh, pushing the uh, PRNG, getting the core to include more than just those national economic benefits or the broader national economic benefits, or if there's some sort of effort to make decisions based outside of the benefit cost ratio. If you say, okay, as long as it hits at that, you know, that one-to-one, -one, maybe you'll choose certain projects because of their, um, their, their, uh, nearness or how close they are to disadvantaged communities. I don't know. I'm not sure. Do you have thoughts on how that, that might be utilized? possible uh, that even with the existing principles and guidelines, there's nothing that requires the core. And in fact, it should not be done this way. So let me finish the first sentence. There's nothing that requires the core to design a project to maximize the benefit cost ratio. It's supposed to maximize national economic development benefits. Well, if you take a look at that and just take national economic development and include all the things which should be included in national economic development, which include the environmental benefits, the, the social benefits. All of those things should be there. So if they took what they have in their hands right now, they could make the change. Of course, they're supposed to implement the principles and requirements, and, and that uh, you know is coming out with guidelines. 
again, I think that's going to be a struggle for the core. It's so ingrained in them to be looking at things from a BCR that I think it's going to be difficult. They've got to look at it from the standpoint of what you can measure. Now, the next problem will be environmental benefits. How do you monetize them? There are other agencies that do, do monetize them. It can be done. It can be artificial, but it's no more artificial, I think, than taking a model and saying, here are the economic benefits that have come out of this. Because those models have inputs that are not, don't look at the second and third and fourth streets out from, you know, the, uh, from the ocean, let's say. They just look at what's right there in front. And to a certain degree, that has to be changed. You have to look at the total impact of the community resilience. So that's my theory. Derek, do you have any other good news to add to our list? Yeah, I, well, not in the core budget. I think you're you'll, you're hitting the core budget, and we'll talk about the, the disappointment, uh, the bad news on the core budget. But on some of the other side, um, we do expect some really good news out of NOAA. The president's budget has indicated there's going to be a $1.5 billion increase to the NOAA budget. Now, obviously, NOAA deals with a lot more than coastal. It deals with atmospheric issues, and certainly the, the president and the administration's um, priorities placed on climate change, I expect a lot of that increase will be going to, you know, climate-related modeling, weather forecasting, etc. But they've indicated there's going to be a lot of increases to coastal resilience. Um, unfortunately, I was hoping to be able to talk about some of the specifics of that today, but the NOAA budget hasn't come out in detail yet. Um, so we are expecting that by the end of this week, maybe early next week, uh, but we do expect to see some significant increases there. Um, the other, uh, the other good uh, pieces of, of good news, I guess, from the president's budget, I think there's some good increases in some of the coastal programs coming out of Department of Interior. Um, some of the ones that I track are the U.S. Geological Survey's coastal hazards um, budget, and that got an increase. That's usually about a $40 million program, um, and the president, uh, the administration proposed that to be a $57 million program, so you know, almost a 50% increase to the USGS coastal hazards. Um, BOEM Marine Minerals Program. So this is if you get your uh, sand, if you're a beach uh, and you get your sand from pretty far off the coast, so out in the federal waters, three miles off the shore, uh, you're dealing with the BOEM Marine Minerals Service. Um, that had been funded at about $10.7 and this year it was proposed for nearly $15 million, so a good, a good increase there. And then uh, the Fish and Wildlife Service Coastal Program, which offers grants to uh, to for coastal issues, mostly, um, obviously fish and wildlife related, but mostly wetlands areas, uh, that also saw about a $2 million uh, plus up increase or about a 15% uh, increase. So some good funding coming out of Interior. We expect to see some good funding out of NOAA. Um, so pleased to see that, and we'll see how that gets reflected in the appropriations uh, process as it plays out. Yeah, I'm interested to see, you know, I've been reading articles about the president's budget and, you know, heard other other takes on it. And the word coastal resilience and climate resilience is everywhere, right? I mean, even in our podcast, we've been mentioning this is what Biden has been proposing. But I just don't see where, how that money is going, how the money that's been proposed is going to accomplish those goals. And perhaps some of those programs um, will do that. But in terms of constructing projects, there's only a few that I can really think of. Yeah, absolutely. What we're finding right now is that projects that have been proposed that don't meet necessarily the kind of standards we were talking about just a little while ago, or projects that communities have been developing that where they need the help and don't necessarily fit into 
one of the Corps' author, you know, main authorizations are not being given a boost by this administration. You can do it. You really can. If you start thinking outside the box, you can say, okay, we're going to take XYZ community that has looked at its, uh, that, at its back bay, uh, which uh, for listeners that means the backside of a, usually a peninsula, uh, could be another kind of uh, land formation, where it gets flooded, you know, whenever the ocean gets uh, riled up. So they're looking at things to do back there, and we don't see specific initiatives to take care of that. They could take existing programs like planning assistance to states. They could be taking uh, their floodplain management system program. They could be taking their civil jackets program, existing programs, and saying, now we are in this administration proposing that X percent of the money that we spend on those be spent you want to make it in 40% disadvantage, that's fine. But to implement these kinds of projects that communities have already developed. And if it's just planning assistance that they need to get along, that's major for communities to be able to get them to construction. And we'll deal with the construction thing. I mean, that gets the whole issue of, you know, the Dan, you and I have talked about a need of grants and things like that, which are, you know, something that we'll talk about later, but in, in, the, uh, in the year. But it should be part of the infrastructure proposal. It's not going to be. Um, communities need help on the local level to get things implemented. And this administration, through the course budget at least, has not provided the kind of initiatives that I would have liked to have seen. Howard, i got a question for you if I can. Sure. How much do you think this administration is taking into account the, uh, the return of earmarks, which I know are now called community requests or something to that yeah. effect, but they're earmarks. Uh, do you think that the core or the administration's budget is taking that into account when they're proposing project budget, sort of assuming that if it's a really important resilience project to a community that they'll get their member of Congress? Or do you think that's just not something they've been thinking about? Well, I think it's something they always think about. Uh, I think your point's well taken. This is the first year, as our listeners know, that Congress uh, has been doing earmarks in the last decade plus. Um, and members of Congress are requesting, but we're watching some strange lack of requests coming out of some members of Congress. Uh, let's just say that I'm, from my point of view, and I think Dan's as well, uh, they've made a determination that they are not going to be making earmark requests because they think that the earmarks are bad. Now, all of those members are Republicans, so, but there are Republicans who are making earmark requests, so it's not across the board. And Always, the administration, particularly uh, Office of Management and Budget, has said, okay, we're going to propose a core budget of X level, and we're going to leave out X, Y, and Z projects because we know they're important to members, so they're going to plus up the budget. And they know it's going to be plussed up another billion or so. Um, so yes, I do think it's taken into account. On the other hand, we've talked about this before, Dan, you get into a point where you put Congress in a straitjacket because how much can they plus up? I know we're starting at a decent point. It's not a great point, but it's decent. But uh, again, going back to what we look at on the coast, 50 million plus up to what do we have? Uh, currently, if we take the just the specific projects, what do you have? Um, uh, 2 million? 
three million. In my edition is not so good. You get, you get, oh, the, yeah. you get about three million in those projects. Fifty million doesn't take care of just the projects in New Jersey. Well, the big issue is that appropriations committees are not sure how any of this is going to work. Out. Yeah. And if you don't get an earmark for a project, particularly a core coastal project, and there's no extra pots of money, yeah. where do you get your project from? Yeah, and, and you know we talked with staff last week appropriations committee staff, and they don't know the answer right now. So that means that leadership doesn't know the answer, congressional leadership. So a lot of folks listening who are expecting to get money from the Corps to construct, that means to put sand on the beach, let's put it that way, either as new projects or as uh, renourishments, are going to be waiting, I think, a lot of time, a lot of months. Because I don't think this budget is going to, this final budget is going to come quickly by any means. It may not come at all. There's a definite possibility it may not come at all. But even if it does come, we don't know what it's going to look like. Is it going to be all earmarked? Or is it going to be some earmarks and some pots of money for the administration to uh, allocate? And I, I think it's a, it's a, a reasonable concern that some members of Congress don't know who to ask. It, or what communities to ask? Well, I mean, they solicit to all of them, but a lot of times there isn't. All, you, you, people don't either see those emails or they don't get the call or whatever it might be. So they end up not making a request. And keep in mind, these are just really, for the most part, Excel spreadsheets or whatnot that are keeping track of these projects. It will f either not be on the list or it will fall off the list. I mean, there needs to be more communication because this hasn't been done in a decade. And in terms of the core, you know, these again, I'm just referencing a, a swath of press releases. How is the court going to address sea level rise with, an, and here's the bad news, zero beach nourishment projects in the president's budget? It is entirely up to Congress. So, Yeah, I mean, you're referencing a, uh, a press release from the acting, what amounts to the acting assistant secretary of the Army, the highest ranking administration official in charge that this is going to be helping on climate and, and, and sea level rise. And How? Please. Precisely. Tell us how. I mean, do you have that view, Derek? Uh, because, you know, you're not so focused there on projects, but your members are trying to do things. So what's your view of things? Yeah, I'd say two things. We are still really waiting to see where this NOAA budget shakes out because there's a lot of funding that could go to programs within NOAA's line item that could shift coastal resilience from the core essentially to local communities, right? So one thing that coastal states organization advocates for is coastal zone management grants. Um, that's the kind of funding uh, that, you know, state programs actually have to do project work. There's the um, National Fish and Wildlife Foundation uh, National Coastal Resilience Fund. And so that could be, um, you know, if that gets plussed up, those could go to dune projects. So um, if you see some of those projects increased, I think then you might look at this budget as more of a shift from federal funding for federal project management, meaning the Corps is doing the project, and just shifting that money to more of a grant program or a state-administered program. Um, but we really don't know yet. I mean, so we've definitely seen a, a, a the federal government abdicate some responsibility for some of this, but whether or not they have abdicated the funding, I think is a, still a little bit to wait and see with how much funding could be in the NOAA budget. 
Um, the other thing that, and this is just building off what you were saying that does concern me is, is some of the pretty significant cuts to some of the science and research and some of the planning efforts at the core. Um, you saw something like regional sediment management, which has, you know, been getting steady increases. I think it, most recently it's been at over $8 million a year cut to, I think a hundred thousand dollars, something, you know, a, a mm -hmm. token amount to make it seem like they weren't eliminating the program and similar with the coastal inlet, um, the coastal inlet research program. And, and that concerns me because those don't have the same kind of natural, congressional champions that projects do, right? If your project doesn't get funded then you've got one member of Congress out there who wants to see money coming back to their district. And so they might, they might fight for it. I mean, those are the things that maybe they don't, maybe they haven't put it in as near mark, but they will next year. But some of these broader science-based planning efforts um, that get cut, those don't have the same kind of um, congressional champions. So I think that's where groups like ASBPA and CSO um, and, and, and frankly, some of the communities that um, have benefited from those science efforts need to step up and say, yeah, these are important. We need Congress to add to make sure these get funded. I think those are both very, very good points. I think going, going to your first point, um, you know, the bill language that, you know, we've both been, uh, that we drafted that we're both looking at is sort of trying to, whether it's going to be the core or another agency, there needs to be a way outside of specific federally authorized projects to get money to local governments and states even. Um, to improve everything, coastal resilience, sea level rise, climate change, um, raising roads, fixing utilities, and you know pr preparation in essence for for sea level rise and climate change. Um, I wanted to ask Derek a question. We started out with the good news, and we mentioned the Great Lakes Coastal Resiliency Study, something you folks have been the pushers for. Well, I'm going to ask a question for which there's no answer. Which is, why is it taking the administration this long <laughs> to, you know, come up with some money to get that started? Because you had eight Great Lakes states who were actively pushing for this, signing on the dotted line, saying in past years that they were going to cost share. Now we have a pandemic that's hit, and that has affected budgets of states, many states. And I'm sure from what I can tell, at least in the Great Lakes area, it's been you know, significant. Um, you know, it's, it, it may have been somebody smiling over at Office of Management and Budget saying, well, now let's see if they can possibly cost share to do this, even when they said that in the past. But I don't know, what's your view? Well, I, I had heard a rumor that's just so dumb it might be true, that uh, folks at Office of Management and Budget thought um, the Great Lakes were actually able to control Great Lake water levels, and so they didn't <laughs> see the need for it because they could just reduce water levels if they let more flow through the St. Lawrence <laughs> River. Um, which not that simple, uh, hopefully, hopefully folks on the line know that is not true, that the states are not capable of raising and lowering water levels at will. There, there, is a, there is some ability to do that on some of the lakes, but that's not the case. Um, but now that they understand that you can't just raise and lower water levels, they realize the need for the resilience study. So, I, you know, again, rumor, don't know if that's true, but I think I, I do think there's been enough pressure and enough discussion put on this that uh, at least providing the Corps with some initial funding to do some scoping of what the Great Lakes Coastal Resilience Study would take is really helpful. Obviously, it's going to be a challenge to get that state-level match. I think there was a lot of interest from the states, you know, two or three years ago when this was kicked off and states had, you know, signed a compact, agreed that they would all chip in funding. And, you know, only so many times 
Lucy can only pull the football out from under you so many times before Charlie Brown decides to stop running up and trying to kick it. Um, and I think we might be in that kind of situation now. So uh, we'll see. Uh, but certainly nice to see money actually in the budget this year. This is a great example that uh, coastal states uh, led uh, to get these eight states together to get not only the core, which did have a lead role, but also um, other federal agencies uh, from USGS to EPA, and I'm missing a couple like FEMA, and, and certainly NOAA, uh, all in the same room at the same time, and get it started, not just with one meeting, but a series of meetings that went on for a long time. So, it, And this is really the Great Lakes version of the North Atlantic Coast Comprehensive Study and the South Atlantic Coast Comprehensive Study, which were... Um, which took, you know, a major, major hurricane and devastation along the Atlantic coast to actually get funded. So the idea here is, okay, let's figure out how we can help Great Lakes coastal states figure out what their challenges are before they get devastated by whatever, you know, major storms or, or uh, coastal events happen to them. And so we'd like to see it, you know, funded without a hurricane or natural disaster causing trouble. Definitely. I hope it, I hope it works. Because I think it's a great example, and also the states, as you said, had been willing, and I hope that they can still find the way to do it. But they had been willing to cost share. North Atlantic and South Atlantic studies are not cost shared by any of the states involved. When you have a nickel in in the you know in the meter, whatever it is, it becomes you have an investment, and it was more than a nickel uh, that yep. the. Uh, eight states uh, had to sign on to to say that they were willing to participate. So it's going to be difficult, but I hope, hope it works. Is there anything on your list, Eric, that, that we haven't covered? Uh, the one other thing I would mention is just the, um, I'd, I'd be interested in your take on the CAP programs, the Continuing Authority programs. Um, these are the fund smaller projects, so maybe not your you know big authorized $10 million beach project, but there's um, usually there's funding for uh, shore protection cap uh, continuing authority program. I think usually about $4 million for that. There is usually funding for beneficial use of dredge material. Um, that's a section 204. The shore protection one got cut completely. The beneficial use got cut from 10 million last year down to 1 million this year. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are those likely to be plussed up by Congress or I don't know, just any, any thoughts you guys have on those? I think these are useful projects. I mean, I know, I know there's several, you know, fairly large projects that are either relying on Section 111 or that are relying on 204 projects. Um, but I think it comes down to individual members and the core socializing the needs for these programs. I mean, I don't think it's much more than that. I don't think, like you you were mentioning before with uh, other uh, research programs, that there's not one particular member who's going to champion them. I don't know which members would champion these individual, you know, CAP 103, CAP 204, small shore protection or beneficial use. Um, I don't know. Howard, what do you think? I think it's uh, something that's a very good point, Dan, because a lot of people who are recipients of funding at the local level very often do not speak up. They have not needed to over the past decade or more. If they do not speak up. Then what the committee does is they go to the core and they ask what are your capabilities? That is, what is, what do you have on your list of what you want to do? And I, I think for 204, the beneficial use, it's had a list of, uh, 
of folks, but they've been primarily uh, a the old Section 204, which is aquatic uh, uh, restoration, which is good. I mean, I'm fine with that. But on the other hand, in terms of its use for beneficial use, it has not been getting all the use. We also still have the uh, beneficial, use, beneficial use pilot programs, which we're getting some of their money out of uh, 204. Uh, and certainly they are not a line item by themselves this time. They have been in the past. So those need to be plussed up. Those are extremely important to take a look at examples where you could actually take a look at ways of stopping the least cost standard. Therefore, the least cost being usually dumping sand off the shore and letting it get lost and instead keeping it near shore or onshore for both flood uh, damage reduction and environmental restoration purposes. We, I don't know why they cut that. I have no idea. I don't know why they took the 204 money that they had in there and they put it in O&M and then they said that's going to be paid for out of Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund. It, it won't happen that way. But somebody was playing games on it, but it still is a figure that's too low. And to get that back up requires Congress to use some of what I'll call its overall amount of plus-up money only put so much into projects, so much into these programs, and I just think we're going to be disappointed by the end of the, on the end of the day in this year's budget. And I'm sorry to say that because I think we looked for real hope when we had this climate resilience and sea level rise rhetoric that we'd see something more than we saw. I think there's a degree of waiting that we'll have to do. I think I think Derek raised a very good point that some of the the funds that we may be, you know, a little hopeful for in the in perhaps the core's budget. Um, d- directly, you know, in projects may may come through in terms of grants or other other, you know, program, you know, programs that NOAA and the yeah. Interior operate. Yeah, I-, I think that's certainly possible. And, and I think that it, to me, um, the Corps' future on the coast, at least, you understand the Corps' budget on the coast, even when it gets plussed up, uh, is what 150 million dollars or something like that which out of a $7 billion budget is, a, you know, a rounding error uh, on some, elsewhere in the Defense Department. Uh, but the fact is that climate resilience is not a rounding error. It's something which is as, as much and perhaps more so of a risk and a danger to this country than we've had with the pandemic. So therefore, it's going to take more effort, quite frankly. And I know people are not willing to individually accept that, so just look at it from the standpoint of your local community. What's your level of flooding? What's your level of risk uh, to uh, the hurricane season, which is predicted to be heavier than we would like to see it? Um, if you look at it that way and you say, this budget is not going to provide you any solace. So, you know, as, as always, uh, at Waterlog, we're, we're tracking these figures. We have a a spreadsheet that we use to track um, all federal shore protection protection funding all the way back to 1996, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be posting that shortly. But I just want to, just as a reminder, this is a starting point. This is only the president's budget. There will be money added to it uh, by the House and Senate, um, which has historically always been over the president's budget. So I think we could estimate something around $8 billion would be would be healthy. Last year was, the final figure was about $7.8 billion, I believe. So, um you know, there's there's other bills as well uh, that will be funding coastal resilience, whether it's, you know, resilience is a broad word. So we have an infrastructure bills, um, 
I mean, all of our resilience agencies, including the ones that Derek has referred to and the ones that we've referred to, are part of a larger agency. And we don't have a national focus on resilience. We don't have a cabinet-level person who is at least gathering all the agencies that work on this, and I'm talking about sub-agencies, be they NOAA or USGS or the Corps, they're all part of much larger organizations. And I hope that the administration, when it comes up with uh, resilience proposals, which I still look for, perhaps not this year, but next year, will look at having a some place in the cabinet level where somebody is speaking up and saying, here's what's needed. Where's John Kerry? Uh, he's around somewhere doing is it, his czar or something like that. He's a special... What's his position yeah, again? He's the, he's the international climate guy. Yeah. I think our best yeah. bet is, is actually going to be Jane Lubchenco, who is the former NOAA uh, administrator. She's now uh, some sort of new position out of OSTP, which is interesting, the Office of Science and Technology Policy, I believe. Um, and she is sort of the climate advisor for that agency. Uh, and I think her job is to try to coordinate at some level this um, these resilience pieces. But we'll see. It's a new position and, and never really been done before. So. Well, let's hope they give her the power to uh, to do that. Because yep. otherwise Great. it'll become another thing. You know, it's like, it's like infrastructure. Uh, for the last several administrations, it was a joke to have infrastructure week. And we had a lot of discussion from the administration then about infrastructure. Now, this president clearly means infrastructure. On the other hand, you know, what is going to happen? We don't know what will happen. And at this stage, it looks like uh, maybe the week of June 7th, we might know whether the president's going to go all on his own or Democrats, in essence, are going to go all on their own or whether it's going to be a bipartisan proposal. But the bottom line is we need to have results. We need to have implementation. Otherwise, people's faith in these words is going to be further diminished. That's what I think they are right now. I think a lot of it's words. And I thought Biden liked the beach. There's no yeah. beach projects. Yeah, none in Delaware, which I'm sure was a great surprise to some people in Delaware that they really thought that the, there are beach projects in Delaware that needed funding. They needed funding last year, they needed funding this year, and they needed funding next year. None of them have gotten funded. So we'll see what happens, whether there's any... Uh, Backroom lobbying on that by the president will remain to be seen. Well, that's all we've got today. Derek, unless you have any other points you want to bring up, um, it's really great having you on the show today. Again, Derek Brockbank from the uh, executive director of the Coastal States Organization. Uh, it's always a pleasure having you. And when is your, your next show is coming up when? Uh, so I had a show on the federal flood risk management standard that came out just last week. So check that out if you haven't already. And then we'll be doing one on the regional ocean partnerships. So this is uh, Marco, NROC, GOMA, and the West Coast Ocean Alliance will be coming out at the end of the month. So looking forward to hearing from them. Wonderful. We certainly will tune in as well. Um, that's going to be it for today, I think. That's it. Thanks as always for tuning in and we'll catch you guys next month. From the bottom of the Marianas Trench, this is ASPN, the American Shoreline Podcast Network.
news for the pelagic-minded.